a desert planet with twin suns. Hello there. It's over, Anakin! I have the high ground! That's f***ing Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> Welcome back to Twin Sun Talks, folks. I'm your host, Jonah Liu. Thank you so much for listening, and welcome to our very first review and breakdown of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, this is a super exciting time. This has been probably the most anticipated Star Wars project in the last few years, and it's finally here, and I can't wait to talk to you all about it. So today, we're going through the first two episodes, because uh, two episodes dropped. So I uh, can't wait to dive into those, and without further ado, let's dive into I Have Spoken. I have spoken. So in this segment, I'm going to be going through each of the episodes individually. I'm going to do episode one, non-spoiler review, then full spoiler review and breakdown. Then episode two, non-spoiler review, full spoiler review and breakdown. And then after all that, I'm going to do one big vision segment where I go through my theories, uh, given all the information about the first two episodes, because I don't think it makes too much sense for me to theorize about what's going to happen after episode one, since I already know what happens after episode one. Um, so with that said, I'll give ample spoiler warnings. Check out the description of this to find timestamps for when I go over different things, if you want to skip around. Um, but just know that the vision segment is going to be full spoilers. Uh, so if you haven't watched it yet, don't listen to that. Uh, and then I'll mark all my non-spoiler reviews, so if you want to just listen to those, then you can go ahead and do that. Um, so, with that said, let's dive into my non-spoiler review of episode one, which is, this is a fantastic first episode. It sets up the conflict and tone and characters of the story beautifully, and I feel like a kid watching this show because it captures the atmosphere of the time in which it's set so very well and bridges the gap between prequels and originals really, really beautifully. And honestly, I really only have good things to say, and I don't feel like I can say too much more without uh, spoiling stuff, So, which I don't want to do. So uh, if you haven't watched it yet, go ahead and watch it. And if you don't want spoilers, then don't listen to the rest of this episode because there will be full spoilers. So this is my spoiler warning, spoiler, 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 spoiler. Let's dive into my spoiler breakdown. So, we start off the episode with a recap of essentially everything that's happened in the prequel trilogy up until this point, just kind of giving, getting you oriented and up to speed um, on where Kenobi's at in his journey as far as the movies are concerned. It was super emotional and really well done, and I would highly recommend watching it if you skip through it the first time, because I think it's definitely worth watching at least once. We open directly into an Order 66 scene. So we uh, have a Jedi uh, kind of practicing some sort of katas or uh, another form of like just meditative martial arts type form that he's uh, that she's going through with these younglings. And uh, clones rush in and start attacking them. They're operating within the Jedi Temple, and this is happening during Operation Nightfall. Uh, during Anakin's siege of the Jedi Temple with uh, the 501st. And I think this could be me grasping, but I think that the Jedi Master who was uh, teaching these younglings could be Boltar Swan, who was actually the apprentice to 
Plo Koon, but I'm not entirely sure. She kind of looks like her. She has a green lightsaber. Her appearance is pretty similar, but could be off base there. Um, either way, she was really awesome. She she tore him up, and while she obviously ultimately died, she put up a really good fight, and I think that it was super, super fun to watch. And as you all know, and I say this a lot, I'm a sucker for Order 66 content, so I love getting those little nuggets whenever I can. Um, next up, we got the Inquisitors. Uh, three Inquisitors arrived on Tatooine to hunt a Jedi in this episode, and those three were the Grand Inquisitor, who's a Powan, uh, the main guy with the pale skin who was kind of leading the charge. He is the head honcho of all of the Inquisitors, and if you don't know who the Inquisitors are, they are essentially dark side agents. They're not Sith, but they hunt Jedi at the behest of the Emperor and Vader, and they, uh, most of them are former Jedi who turn to the dark side. And um, they're, they're really interesting characters, and I'm glad that we're getting a little bit more about them in this show. They were first introduced in Star Wars Rebels, and they got a little more backstory and stuff like uh, Jedi Fallen Order. And um, the other two that we see are the third sister, Reva, who is new in this show and is getting a lot of attention in this show, and the fifth brother, who is uh, in Rebels and who is pretty prominent in the comics, if I'm not mistaken. So it's really cool to see all them brought to life on screen. Um, probably my only gripe about this show would be the look of the Inquisitors, particularly the Grand Inquisitor and the fifth brother. I think that they look kind of cheap, but that's really my only complaint. Um, as I, w I wish that they had streamlined the looks a little bit more, but honestly, it doesn't take away from my enjoyment of, of what's going on. I think that they both play the characters very, very well. I'm glad that they fixed the Inquisitors, uh, the Grand Inquisitor's eyes. Uh, I think it makes him look a lot more menacing, really brings out the character a lot better. Um, and what they do on Tatooine is they're hunting down a Jedi, and... They find this Jedi in a cantina, but he's allowed to escape because of Reva's, Reva's um, impulsive and reckless nature. And so they kind of go around and they're interrogating people uh, throughout the city on Tatooine as this is happening. And so we cut kind of between this and Kenobi. And now Kenobi is working in a production line, which is breaking down a crate dragon carcass. Um, and now we saw a crate dragon featured in The Mandalorian Season 2. And there are these giant creatures that burrow under the sand and feed on livestock like banthas. Uh, they're kind of a nuisance, but they're also these giant apex predators. And they're super difficult to kill. But this, uh, this one has been killed. And now all these people are essentially cutting up its meat uh, to be sold because crate dragon meat is very sought after. Um, so, very interesting stuff there. And uh, an interesting thing that we get to see throughout this episode is uh, Obi-Wan's resignation and sort of his despair that he's fallen into. Um, you see this with like the man at his job who's trying to argue with the overseer about how much he gets paid. And uh, with the Jedi survivor, with the Organas, you get glimpses of Obi-Wan's like depressive, resigned state. And you also get to see these really interesting glimpses of how 
monotonous and repetitive his life is. It is boring. This planet that he's on, there's nothing there. There's nothing for him to do that is of value, at least in any sense of what his life used to be, where he was this proud warrior monk who was saving the galaxy. And now he has been reduced to this man who is just doing other people's work. He's cutting meat for a living and traveling back and forth through the desert every single day and living in a cave to protect this child. And he's lost himself a little bit. He's just kind of going through the motions. And you see that. You see that he is... He, he realizes that he's there for a very specific job. He's there to protect Luke. And he wants to help people. Like, you see, he wants to help this man who's getting swindled out of money for this honest work that he's doing. But he can't, because if he helps him, then he's going to be hurting the people that he's there to protect. So it's this really interesting dichotomy of him really desiring and needing to help these people but realizing that he's going to do harm if he helps because he can't draw attention to himself he can't stand out in any way or else he jeopardizes luke he jeopardizes owen and baru and he doesn't want to do that next up we have the toy obi-wan gets a skyhopper toy model from a jawa and gives it as a gift to luke in the in the middle of the night he drops it off on the doorstep basically and uncle owen rejects it but an interesting thing that you might not have caught is that it's actually the same toy model that we see luke fiddling with in a new hope whenever he's talking to c3po and r2d2 um right before he gets like the the message from Leia for the first time, whenever he gets to see that for the first time, you see him like using this little model plane type thing uh, to just kind of like play around with. And that's that same toy. And it's, it's called a Skyhopper. They're these, uh, these vehicles that people on Tatooine would use uh, to travel through the air for short distances, basically as like a sort of reconnaissance uh, vehicle. So cool little Easter egg there. And also really cool to see how, um, Obi-Wan's just looking out for Luke and his well-being. Even though he can't directly influence his life like in person, he still wants to be that sort of guardian for him uh, in one way or another and take care of him in that way uh, by providing that outside perspective for, from the rest of the galaxy. Uh, we also see Obi-Wan is plagued with nightmares of his past, flashes from the prequel movies, which is super, super interesting to see, just seeing how he's, he carries this immense guilt for all the things that have happened. He blames himself for Anakin's fall to the dark side. He blames himself for the Jedi's fall from grace and, uh, and the, the Empire spreading through the galaxy. He blames himself for that. And it's super, super sad to see. And when he awakes, he calls out for Qui-Gon. Because we know that Yoda was supposed to give him training to help com him commune with Qui-Gon. And it's been 10 years, and obviously he hasn't been successful in doing that. And so I'm sure that that has also added to him falling deeper and deeper into that despair that I was talking about. Uh, more on the Larses. Kenobi watches the Lars homestead from afar. Owen, Luke's uncle, doesn't want Kenobi around, saying that he'll only hinder and endanger Luke in the long run. And Owen is approached by the Inquisitors in town, who interrogate him and threaten him, 
and his family if they don't get information about the Jedi, but Owen stands firm. And he says to Obi-Wan that he didn't stand firm for Obi-Wan's sake, which is interesting because I'm not entirely sure who else he would have done it for, other than maybe my best theory is that if people knew that Kenobi was on that planet, they would say, okay, well, why Tatooine? And that would draw suspicion towards Luke, right? So he's trying to protect Luke in that way by not giving up Obi-Wan, and maybe he subconsciously also knows that Obi-Wan is the best line of defense for Luke against something like an Inquisitor. And so that's why um, I'm not entirely sure. But that's an interesting thing that I, I think... I, I could be completely off base, but that, that's my best guess with that. Um, next up, we see that Reva, the third sister, is very impulsive and arrogant. She's almost like a child. She's extremely obsessive over Kenobi and gaining that recognition for capturing him after no one else was able to. And she's also very brutal. She cuts the hand off of this random woman who's kind of talking back to her in the street, which is which is wild. But she... I think that she she really desperately wants respect. And she's very strong with the Force. She's able to sense people's intentions very clearly. She's able to sense the fact that Owen knows something about a Jedi. And you see her uh, use these abilities down the line as well. But she's very powerful, and I think that she's a really interesting character, and I'm excited to see more of her uh, in, in the future of the show. Next up, we have Alderaan. We got to see Alderaan for the first extended period of time on screen which is really really interesting the only other times that we've actually seen the planet other than when it was like blown up in a new hope were for a little bit in revenge of the sith and then in one episode of the clone wars it was season three episode seven assassin whenever uh or singh is trying to kill padme and ahsoka's protecting her and stuff uh those are really the only times that we see alderaan so to get to spend some really quality time there was super super cool we also got time with the Organas, and this is something that I talked about in the last episode where I went over what to talk about or what to know about uh, the show coming into it is that Bail Organa and Leia were probably going to be involved, and they were, along with Bail's wife, Leia's adoptive mother, Bria, who's the queen of Alderaan. And um, may I just say that, first of all, seeing Bail and Bria was is amazing. Bail is played by the same actor that he was. Uh, back in the original trilogy, or not original trilogy, prequel trilogy, as well as in Rogue One. Uh, Bria is not played by the same actress, but I think that she did a fantastic job. And, um, oh, also, Owen and Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru are both played by the same uh, actor and actress that played them in the original, uh, in uh, the, the movies as well, in the prequels. So it's really cool to see all these people returning. Uh, I think that it's a really, really amazing thing uh, to get to see them have like a second chance at these characters because while the prequels weren't super well received when they came out, I think that people have really uh, come around to them and it's really great to see them get the love that they deserve. Um, I think that Leia is absolutely perfect. Um, I think that she's an excellent mix of like very cute, but also very sassy. And if you don't like her, I would encourage you to picture Carrie Fisher in a new hope saying any of her lines in this episode, and I guarantee it'll match up exactly. Her delivery is amazing. It It's really, really good. She's really incredible, and I think that she fits the character super, super well. And she also has this really sweet element of kindness 
and this really savvy intelligence that's it's really really special like her um her interactions with her cousin about being kind to droids but then also um her like perceptiveness about his insecurities and the world around her is just very very refreshing and it's also very interesting to see like she is extremely extremely smart and has been from a very young age very much like her father very much like her mother and um it's just really cool to see this perspective of her because even in the original trilogy and in the sequel trilogy for that matter we don't get too much about leia and to get that kind of focus on her in this episode was really really cool um and then having them tied to Kenobi in such a personal way is a brilliant and great way to get him off Tatooine in this show. And that whole line about like she is just as important as Luke, she being Leia, is such a great point that I think a lot of people tend to overlook. Um, and I love that we're going to get to see Kenobi kind of interact with, with the outside world after spending so much time on Tatooine uh, moving forward. And as unnecessary and honestly pretty foolish it was of him to him being obi-wan to flash his saber as he walked towards the ship at the very end and i know that it was a cinematic choice it wasn't like an actual like probably thing that kenobi would do but i it gave me goosebumps and i loved it uh, i'm not even gonna lie i, I it's something that i would normally nitpick and i kind of did like a backhand nitpick there but i thought it was really really cool and it was just like with the music and everything it was like ah love it love it love it love it um and that's about all that I have for the breakdown. As far as my spoiler review, I just got to say I really love this episode. It was really gripping from the very beginning. To, uh, and my biggest gripes is the aesthetics, like I said, with the Inquisitors. But that really is pretty far from the point. I think it's fantastic. Uh, I'm honestly just very relieved that I didn't hate it right off the bat, which sounds really bad and pessimistic. But it's honest. Like, I've been burned by a lot of these shows before, and I really really was scared that they weren't going to do Kenobi justice. And I'm, I'm really, really glad that they have so far. Um, Ewan is so perfect. He's so perfect in this role. It's absolutely insane. He is playing Obi-Wan's resigned despair so very well. And the redundancy of everything in his life, his commute um, to work, the sneaking the piece of meat at the end of each day shows the monotony of his life and why it's been so easy for him to kind of lose himself and fall away from the once great Jedi Knight that he once was. It's been 10 years of this, but he does it for a reason, and he's doing this because it's worth it to protect Luke. And I think that it's portrayed so well in such a not explicit way that I just think it's, it's so beautifully done. It's so, so good, and I really can't wait to see more. So that's the end of my analysis of episode one. We're going to move on to episode two now. So if you haven't seen episode two, I would encourage you to stop listening because this will still be here whenever you arrive. But we're going to start off with my non-spoiler review. So episode two is an extremely interesting episode. It provides a story that I wouldn't have expected from an Obi-Wan show if I didn't know anything about it going into it. And the environment of this episode is super striking and engaging. The tension is very real and the ending is awesome. I'm extremely excited for episode three. And that's about all that I feel like I can say. Uh, I would encourage you to not listen to the rest of this episode if you haven't watched episode two yet. 
uh, because they're going to be full spoilers. So this is my spoiler warning, spoiler, 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 spoiler warning. Let's dive in. So uh, we have a new hive of scum and villainy to add to the list. Uh, it's called Dayu. And it kind of gives Coruscant Underworld slash like Narshada vibes. It's very well fabricated. The atmosphere feels very fresh and very appropriately off-putting, if you will. Uh, and that being said, the crowds in these in these first two episodes are really, really good. Like the the depth of the uh, the sort of the background of this this show so far has been really, really impressive. It's been a cinematic back like. I don't know if this is making sense, but just the level of detail that is put into these really insignificant aspects of the show, like how many people there are and how diverse these crowds are, is really, really cool. It's very much like a Moss Eisley Cantina um, scene type vibe where it's like there are so many different things and they feel very real and very natural in the scene and it adds a lot to the kind of like this like skeeviness of like of Dayu or the the hustle and bustle of Tatooine. I uh, just props to props to the teams around these shows where it's just like that it it feels very full and I I I think that that's a really impressive thing to do on a TV show of all things. Um we see a clone trooper which my brother and I gasped when this happened. Um, because first of all, it's, it's a homeless, washed up 501st clone begging on the streets and he's played by Tamar Morrison, which is amazing. And it's really, really sad, especially if you're a Clone Wars guy like me or Clone Wars girl. Um, the clones, so here's a little backstory. The clones were made obsolete and effectively abandoned within a couple of years of Order 66, save a couple high ranking officers, um, that weren't really in combat positions, but uh, I'm assuming that that will mainly be tackled in Bad Batch Season 2. They kind of started to go into that in Season 1, but I think that it's going to be fleshed out more in later seasons. Um, and the reason that they were kind of abandoned as a military force were because they were way, very expensive to make, and they aged very quickly uh, because they had accelerated growth, meaning they were grown and they were children, and then pretty immediately after that, there were full-grown adults just to get them out onto the battlefield faster. Meaning a lot of the clones that you see in the movies are probably close to like four to six years old. And uh, they continue to grow uh, to age very quickly after that as well. Um, so if you watch something like Rebels or in this, in this show, you see... Um, that this clone is super, super overgrown and old. This is probably like a 16-year-old clone, and they're already looking like they're in their late 50s. So they were not super uh, sustainable as a military force because they grew out of their positions so quickly. And uh, conscripted soldiers were just deemed better. That's what ended up being the stormtroopers. Even though they weren't quite as effective in combat, they were cheaper and they were easier to come by. And they lasted longer. So uh, this is just a simple representation of how clones were not only cast aside in a military sense, but also in a societal sense. Uh, and the fact that the Empire didn't care to provide any sort of care for them. 
and they didn't care what happened to them. They just end up on the streets begging for scraps. And it's such a sad thing. It's like, I, I don't even know. But it was, it was a really cool Easter egg, and I was really, really happy to see something like that. Uh, next up, we got Kumail Nagiani. He was pretending to be a Jedi for credits. His name is Haja. And I think it was brilliant and hilarious. I loved his inclusion. I thought it was funny enough, but it worked really well in the story. It wasn't like super off kilter as far as the humorous tone. And uh, I thought that it fit really well in the show and I, I really enjoyed his character. The next thing I wanna talk about is Kenobi's uh, interactions and dynamic with Leia. And I think that their dynamic was really, really awesome. I think that Leia is A, adorable, and B, her hesitancy to trust Kenobi works very well as kind of a secondary source of tension within the story. And all their scenes together were very, very well done. It was really, really touching to see Obi-Wan start to kind of uh, come back to himself a bit and break down the walls of despair and like monotony and reservation that he has been operating with for the last few years and to get him kind of back to himself a little bit um, with Leia. I thought that that was really, really cool. Talking about Reva again, we get to see why she has a bit of a chip on her shoulder. She's really looking for recognition and, and retribution uh, in this episode. And you see the Grand Inquisitor talking down to her, saying that she is the, the, the least among them. Uh, she is kind of the lesser Inquisitor. And so she's looking for that recognition from people like Vader, from people like the Emperor. And I think that that's a really interesting motivation. And we also get to see her take down the Grand Inquisitor. I don't think he's dead. Um, mainly because he is alive like five years from then uh, in, in Rebels. So spoiler for those of you who didn't know that, but he's not dead, I don't believe. I think that that's mainly a way for uh for him to be not in the rest of the show for the most part but uh, but that's about it on that we get a Padme reference so my initial thought whenever Kenobi started talking about someone who uh Leia reminded him of was Satine who was a love interest of his from back in the Clone Wars and before the Clone Wars but uh it makes more sense that it was Padme because he he apologizes to Padme Whenever she says, oh, I'm sorry, he's like, I'm sorry too. Which is super sad, but he and Padme were really good friends. They'd known each other for a really long time. And so it was a really touching moment, especially if you have the right context for it. Um, and then we got to talk about Vader. Because he's coming. He's a coming. He knows that Kenobi's alive. And he probably knows where he is. And he knows he's coming. I don't love, this is my biggest gripe from this episode, I don't love that Reva knows that he's Anakin. I think that instead of going like, Anakin Skywalker's still alive, he's like, oh yeah, he's still out there and he's looking for you. Like you didn't, you could have played the pronoun game a little bit because not many people know that Vader is Anakin. And so the fact that Reva would is kind of an eh for me. But the only reason that I would be okay with this is A, if they have a good explanation for it, or B, that I think that it would be cool if she mentioned it to Vader. She said something about Anakin, and he loses his mind on her. That would be amazing. That's what I hope happens, but who knows. Uh, I also think that it's wild that Kenobi still didn't know about him. 
being alive. I would I assumed that he would know at this point. Um, but seeing that moment of realization and the sort of like the panic and the confusion of the scene was really perfect and it was super, super well done. I really, really loved Ewan's acting in that. And then I want to talk about the Force for a little bit. So Obi-Wan couldn't use the Force for 10 years, not because he was physically incapable of doing it, but because he, he out of necessity, couldn't do it so that he could keep a low profile because... If he were to reach out with the Force, he would become a sort of beacon. People familiar with his presence, like Vader, would immediately sense him, and therefore he had to sort of shroud and hide himself uh, behind living a normal life. That is until Leia needed him, and he had to reach out with the Force to catch her fall, and I'm sure that that's when Vader noticed him. He was like, there you are, a presence I haven't felt since. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of like what Palpatine did to mask his presence. He was in the presence of 20 Jedi Masters at any given time, and he was able to mask his presence and prevent them from knowing that he was, in fact, a Sith Lord. So kind of an interesting thing there. But that's about all that I have for that. Let's move into my full spoiler review. So I really wanted this episode to be longer. Hopefully it's the shortest out of all six episodes because we need long episodes. If we're only getting six episodes, then they need to be close to an hour long each time, in my opinion, at least. Uh, I, that being said, I thought that it was fantastic. Leia continues to be one of my favorite parts. And while I'm sure she probably won't be in any episodes past the third one, uh, I would assume, unless maybe the narrative keeps going and this whole show is of him trying to get her back to Bale. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm very glad that they included her in the show. The non-exposited emotions that Obi-Wan portrays, um, just the way that Ewan plays him are just, it's, it's priceless. This is exactly why I'm so thankful that we've gotten this show. He's able to communicate so much with just his expressions. And it's really, really incredible. You really feel his his regret, his fear, his restraint, everything that Obi-Wan should be feeling at this point in his life. You get that really, really clearly through Kenobi. And um, after seeing him, seeing him with Leia, you kind of get to see him or her get to him a little bit and bring out some of the old Obi-Wan, which is really, really spectacular. And I think that next week is going to be amazing. So that's about all that I have for uh, my breakdowns and my reviews. Let's dive into some theories and visions. To continue, we need one singular vision. My vision. Alrighty, so first off, Qui-Gon is coming. There's no way around it. Hopefully we get to see him physically as like a force ghost. But just hearing his voice would be such a treat too. Because, I mean, I think that that's probably going to come in maybe the second to last or the last episode. But um, that's definitely something that they're building towards. I think that this was a great way to start the show because Obi-Wan is a bit off his rocker, kind of dusting off some cobwebs, and he's out of his comfort zone. And now he's being hunted. Um, So I think that that's a really interesting way to kind of introduce us to him again, um, where he's very kind of he's he's out of he's been out of the game for too long. He's he really needs uh, to kind of get that experience 
or get those like get get back into that right mindset. And I think that he's about there, but he just got thrown thrown sideways by this news that Anakin's still alive. So um, I, I think that it's it's a really interesting thing, and I can't wait to see how they how they continue to kind of flesh that out for him. I think that the Vader confrontation is probably going to be real, not like a dream sequence. And I'm super, super excited. Um, I think it's going to be good. It's going to be real good because Obi-Wan's not as good as he once was. As Toby Keith would say, I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. But he, um, I think that that's going to be a wild confrontation because Vader's going to be more powerful than Obi-Wan, probably. Um, especially since Obi-Wan is so out of practice. So I think that that's going to be super, super interesting, and I can't wait to see how they do it. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Cody made an appearance as an Imperial officer in this show after seeing the clone on the side of the road, mainly because it would show how some clones remain in the Empire's favor, whereas others are kind of cast aside. And uh, since this show seems to be in the business of showing Jedi survivors, even if they're kind of nameless, uh, I'm thinking that it's more likely that we see an appearance from someone like Cal Kestis in a later episode. So Cal Kestis is the main character from the video game Jedi Fallen Order, uh, whose the the main premise is he is a Padawan who survived Order sixty six, super popular video game, and I think that it I don't think it's unlikely that we see him at least for a little bit. I don't think that he's going to play a super significant role. And I don't think that it's going to be a super long interaction, but I think it's going to be kind of sweet and short. I, I'm still kind of hoping that that doesn't happen, mainly because I just I don't want, I don't want anything to pull focus from Kenobi. I really don't. Um, but if something like that were to happen, I would assume it would be someone like Cal Kestis rather than someone like Ahsoka. Um, but we'll see, I suppose. I, I simply shrug. I'm not entirely sure. Um, I think that Reva is probably going to get some sort of redemption throughout this show. Uh, she's probably, I if I had to guess, she's one of the younglings from the beginning Order 66 uh, sequence. I'm guessing that she is resentful towards Obi-Wan and the Jedi for failing and allowing her uh, to become what she is. And will probably end up helping Kenobi. And hopefully, I say this without any resentment towards her as a character, but mainly because this is the only possible way that, or only acceptable way that this scene would go down. Hopefully, after she helps Kenobi, she gets absolutely wrecked by Vader. Because there's no reason that she should be able to stand up to him. No reason. Maybe she gets a couple blows in. Maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But Vader should absolutely destroy her. And I'm kind of looking forward to that. I'm not going to lie. Um, but that being said, I love this show so far, guys. It's really, really awesome. And I was really nervous. I'm not going to lie. I was being optimistic kind of outwardly, but I, I was nervous because I don't think that there's a middle ground for the show. I think it's either really fantastic or you blew it. And so far, they're on the right track, which I'm super excited for. And guys, we get another episode on Wednesday. Less than a week away, we get episode three. So get excited. We're almost to the midway point of this show, which is wild. But I'm super excited uh, to continue to uh, 
experience with experience this with y'all. So this is a really long episode, um, but there were there were two episodes to go through. So I hope y'all enjoyed it, and I hope y'all enjoyed the show. But that said, you've taken your first steps into a larger world. May the force be with you, and I will see y'all in the next episode. Bye, friends.